Hi, my name is Davin Sturdivant, and this is episode 19 of the Cart Pulse podcast. This time, I'm speaking with Eric Gunderson, who's the author of Carting 101. Carting 101 is a book that Eric wrote, uh, which is for sale on Amazon, to help new racers get into the sport of karting and understand a little bit about the fundamentals of the sport. So we talk a little bit about that and how it's useful uh, for the sport of karting before we switch gears and talk about Eric's work as the director of race day operations for the Colorado Karting Tour. Um, We talk about what it's like wearing multiple hats, um, working at a volunteer uh, organization, and we talk about how we can incentivize more volunteers to want to be involved with our local clubs in order to make the karting experience better for everybody. So let's jump into it. So you wrote a book. I did. I did. I wrote a book. It, uh, it did not start out as a book. It started out as another project for CKT. Um, you know, me being uh, the administrative guy, I, I, I realized that, you know, in talking to Scott Williams, our president, he, we both realized that there's a, there's a really big gap between kind of the carter in the pits like you, for example, that, that knows how to take apart a carburetor and rebuild it and knows what rear track width, um, you know, what a maximum rear track width rule means or what it means to add lead to a cart, um, those sorts of things. And the person that sees a picture of a go-kart or sees this, you know, the SCUSA stuff on CBS is like, that's really cool and I want to do it. Um, and the response was to take um, some other resources we've seen um, and turn it into Karting 101. Basically, it's a primer for people that like, I don't know any sport and I want to know just, I just want to know what the thing, what this karting thing is about. And um, that is really what Karting 101 is meant to address. It's meant to yeah. explain the very basics. You know, here's w- the, the basic elements of a go-kart. Here's what makes a go-kart a go-kart. Here's the different types of karting competition you can do. Um, here's the different levels of the sport. Um, here are some tips for getting started. You know, go to your local track. Go to a local racing series. Go to a local kart shop. Um, you know, and then talking about the safety equipment you need. All this stuff that, in my opinion, it's really good for new people to know. So that when they go to a kart shop and, you know, the kart shop owner, bless them, tries to sell them the newest, hottest, shottest, um, you know, KC shifter, um, they have a second to think about, is that really where I need to start in karting or do I need to get a 206? Or, you know, what's really my goal here? And and have that kind of level of conversation and understanding about the sport to really start at a level where they feel comfortable. They feel confident that they can go and engage with people in the sport and kind of have a positive outcome. Totally. And you know what? When I read your book, that's exactly the feeling I got because I... I've had the similar experience when we started Cart Pulse where, you know, we tried to put together articles and we put together the forums and we've tried to create spaces for people to, you know, understand how to get started. But sometimes they just need a one-stop shop, like one guide, like one just easy thing they can take with them and read and then come back to me, right? And I was so happy when you wrote this book because even in the last couple of weeks while it's been out, there have been people who have been like, hey, Davin, I want to get into karting. What do I do? I'm like, read this book first. (laughs) And then come back and talk to me because it covers like the 101 basics. And I know that's hilarious because it's the name of the title of the book, but like it does exactly that, right? Like here are some of the fundamental basics of pretty much all the general subject matter in karting. You know, we're not going to go into super, super detail about technical stuff about the go-kart, but it will at least give you a context of the environment you're going to be right. in. So now that you've read it, okay, now you have a question. 
let's let's give you something targeted right um so i i love it like it's been um and it's it's a good price too it's like 25 bucks so it's a really easy sell when i'm trying to explain to people to go get it it's not this like you know $300 book that you know you may not get anything out except for one page right so i i think it was a great idea yeah and you know as i wrote it i thought you know there's a lot more i could add in here but the more I thought about it as just as someone that is coming in and it's kind of like if you've never seen a TV before and all of a sudden you turn it on and all of a sudden things, you know, pictures are moving and all these colors and all the, it's just so much stuff all at once. Let's dial it back. Let's go up to 40,000 feet and look down. And what do we see? That's the elements you see in Carding 101. After that, you can, I wouldn't say, I'm not talking down about it, but you can have an intelligent conversation with people and kind of say, oh yeah, I, I read about that. Or, yeah, I, I heard about that. I can follow yeah. along. Um, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, what's well, context? Yeah, it's it's yeah. context, and um, you know, books like like Terrence's, I haven't read it, but I've read Memo Ghibli's Secrets of Speed and other books like that. They're fantastic publications, but those are, I would argue, maybe a secondary resource. Of okay, I have my card. Now what do I do? Rather than okay, you want to get into carding? Here's let's let's just stop and think about this for a second. Now you understand the sport. Now you can not freak out when someone says, yeah, new card's $4,100 and just say, well, that's too expensive. Only rich people can do this. Well, hang on. Let me tell you about this 206. You can get a used one for like 1500 bucks, And if you budget it right, you can do it and have a lot of fun. And then you can go get the $4,000 card. It's like, um, you know, I think to me, that's, that's one thing that I really hope people get out of this book. Well, hey, man, um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was um, running a club, like the kind of the backgrounds and intricacies that you've learned with running a club. And like, you know, we don't need to go as far and deep as name and names, but I, I've rarely talked with somebody who um, does the administrative work with a cart club that gets a chance to kind of um, talk about their experience and kind of voice some of their feelings about it. Hey, everyone volunteers, but nobody really talks to these people. So I really want to kind of get your thoughts of like what running a club's been like and things you like and things you wish people would be more considerate about. And... Um, but I guess I'll, I'll preface all of my things by saying, you know, I think working at CKT or the Colorado Carding Tour has been, uh, I've been really lucky to get involved with a group that, you know, I don't say this just to say it. I mean, genuinely, we have a great group of people behind the organization. Um, as a racer, I've been around a lot of clubs, both regional, national, um, and then really very small local ones. And sometimes there's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of kind of puffing out chest, things like that. But um, so experience, I guess the biggest thing that it's made me appreciate is, you know, as a racer, I think everyone takes for granted when you roll into the track on a stay that, Oh, the registration table is just there and set up and ready to go. Just kind of all, it always is. So I don't question that. Uh, trash cans are always lined and taken care of. Uh, the medical person's there on time. That's never an issue. Um, all the corner workers know exactly what they're doing and have radios all the time. Um, you know, all these things that kind of as a user of the club or a participant, I think I wouldn't say people take for granted because I think People are actually pretty aware and pretty good about it, but there's a lot that goes into it um, and a lot of effort that a lot of volunteers go through kind of in our club and then nationwide um, that I wouldn't say it goes unappreciated, but um, people don't reflect on it enough, perhaps. Um, and um, what's really cool about is we have a lot of our racers volunteer with us 
just kind of on race day. Yeah, they're they're not really full time volunteers, but they'll see us working on something and they'll come over and help us, um, which is cool. But I think the biggest thing for me uh, to answer your question that I've learned is just to see, to understand. I have a much better understanding now working as an official and as I guess quote unquote an administrative person um, and as a race day official of all the different parties that you have to be beholden to or think about when you make a call, when you make a decision, uh, even doing something that seems relatively innocuous, you have to look at it from every single angle before you do it. Um, and that's not just so that you don't get yelled at or complained about, but it's so that everyone, so that you can try to put the best product kind of on, on showcase on race day. Um, and, um, that's a lot more challenging than I thought it was going to be. Um, can you give me an example? Yeah, uh, I think a great one was, um, and this was one that I kind of saw coming, um, but recently we had um, a race where we were at uh, one of our uh, tracks. We raced at, uh, I think, four different tracks in Colorado, um, and we had a racer who was a sponsor of one of our classes, um, and uh, sponsor was a... Um, product that is commonly used in uh, karting. Um, it's used in uh, a bunch of four cycle carts. Um, and um, so they were generous enough to donate some money to be a title sponsor for one of our classes. Um, and, and then we had to uh, kind of, I got a call from, from uh, he's a good friend of mine and also the sponsor. And he, he said, hey, you know, I'd like to bring some of my product out to the racetrack. Um, and put that on display and sell it to a discount um, to our racer. Well, um, immediately what sprung to mind, again, just putting my official hat on was, yeah, I'd love to do that for you, my friend, but uh, the racetrack that we're at has a pro shop, and by the way, they stock the very same product. So mm. should we let you roll in through the gate and start underselling them? And so I had to have that really hard conversation of saying, look, I get why you want to do this, and I think it would be great for our racers, but for the interests of our club, I don't think we can go and piss off our, ra our local racetrack and have you guys kind of competing, selling the same product on the same day. And those are the yeah. kind of really tricky things that I think a lot of people don't realize can be an issue. Um, yeah. And you know, really one thing that's occurred to me, um, you know, on race day, for example, is like even with a really well-oiled machine that's running all the time, there's, we're always kind of, there's always kind of some sort of problem that we're addressing and keeping it babe sure. and taking over the whole race day and keeping sure. us off schedule or pissing off a bunch of people. Um, there's always something that we're behind the scenes trying to work, um, maybe not frantically, but quickly to, to resolve or get fixed. Um, but that would be an issue, you know, there of where there was, there's multiple sides to that story, right? Because, um, you know, as, as a friend and, and as someone in the series and a sponsor, we want to make our sponsors happy and feel like they can present their product um, at the racetrack. But we also have to keep our uh, local tracks happy, right? I mean, we have to be able right. to come back to them year after year uh, with contracts to go do these races. Um, and if we have an event like that happen, where we suddenly we're, um, you know, it, we have to choose sides, or we're starting to get people to kind of butt heads over selling a product on someone's turf, uh, that can get a little conflicting. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, you know, it, you. Most people may not think about it this way, but as you were talking, I was thinking about how um, 
running a race day is almost like a, a theater production in a way, right? Like the audience sits and watches a play and they don't realize there's like, you know, a thousand people in the background running around with their heads cut off, trying to make sure that everything's on time and make sure that things are prepped and, you know, oh my God, a costume ripped and all these other things, right? That they all just see the end production. And right. so they walk out and they go, oh, that was easy. Yeah, I could, I could do, you know, Macbeth in my sleep, like blah, blah, blah. When in reality, it's like a monumental effort to get through every, you know, every play, every run. Um, and, and, you know, running a race is similar. Um, one of my local tracks has a smaller club contingent. And so it's more apparent when we don't have, let's say, a flagger or we don't have, um, you know, a, a, like maybe a race director even sometimes or something else like that, that can throw off the whole running of the day. That's something that you take for granted because you go to certain tracks and you're like, oh, of course they'll have that. Of course, the you know, like you say, of course the tickets there will be up. Of course, you know, we'll be on time. And without that, um, I think without that awareness or patience and things get really frustrating really quickly because people are all volunteering so we can all have fun and, you know, it doesn't help when you're a dick. Yeah. And so. yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, um, it is kind of, you know, it's exciting for me cause it is kind of like a theater production and, you know, as someone that, um, I'm responsible for trying to coordinate a lot of that and increasingly try to make sure that it all runs on time and that everyone's kind of where they need to be. It's really satisfying. It's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, you know, taking a bunch of spare parts and throwing them all together in a way that you know that they have to work. Um, and then they all have to work perfectly for one day out of a month. Um, mm -hmm. And you have to piece together, you know, sometimes you have people that don't have any experience in a certain position and all of a sudden they have to perform really well in that position. Um, so it's really satisfying when the day goes really well. Um, but, you know, even I, I would say our club is probably larger than a really small club but it's not um we are growing but it's still mm -hmm. at the level now where every volunteer that we have we really need them in the position so if someone's mm -hmm. a little or not quite on their game i mean it really can hurt us so um you know it's 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 funny i mean when everything's running really well everyone's happy no one notices but it's you know when those things start to fall apart that um that the the, the failings become very apparent so it is, sure, it is a, sure. it is a supreme challenge, but, um, it's kind of like you get this certain momentum rolling on a race day where if everything's going right and everyone's operating, then it's great. But it's those times when something unexpected comes up or the timing and scoring system just fails out of nowhere and you have no idea why. And all of you are trying to figure it out, even though none of you are really qualified to figure it out. Um, and trying mm -hmm. to, you know, keep a positive face on it and just keep everything rolling that, um, that it can get a little tricky. Yeah, no, I totally get that. How do you find people, like new people, to volunteer? Because I find like that's the toughest part is finding, you know, new people. Um, especially when, like you say, you've got like one webmaster or one person who knows the timing system or one person that does tech. And so if that person's, you know, sick or has an emergency or just doesn't want to do it anymore or whatever else, and you're kind of, you know, stuck. Um, so trying to find a good flow of people that can volunteer can be kind of crucial. How do you how do you do that? How do you um, how do you try to do that? That's a really good um, question. And I think the thing that has surprised me is that I think most of our racers don't know that they can volunteer. Um, I think, you know, and I think most racers can relate to this. There's kind of the quote unquote fear of the official, right? Um, you know, it's kind of like when you're driving along and you see a, a cop on the side of the freeway and all of a sudden everyone slows down and um, smiles and sits perfectly upright in their car seat, right? It's, um, there's a little bit of that nervousness and it's not like a, an adversarial thing, but there's always this kind of, I wouldn't say distrust, but, um, 
there's a se- there's a definite separation between officials and and volunteers and, and everyone. And, um, at the local level, it's not as not as noticeable, but at a national level, it is. I think um, at our level, that's the biggest thing we run into is people don't realize that hey, you you can volunteer. Like it's okay to come help us um, set up a tent or take this on. Um, the other thing is a lot of people have been doing their positions for a long time. A lot of the volunteers are very dedicated. And so they either they think they can handle it or something new comes along and they think they can handle it. Um, and they don't really want to ask for help. So usually how it happens is someone comes, someone kind of comes, that's a really abnormal person. Someone comes in and they're enthusiastic and they actively tell us they want to volunteer. And then it's like, Oh, that's kind of surprising. We don't hear that very often. Here's a job for you. Um, or we recognize there's a very pressing need and then we will really thoroughly look at the, you know, one, two or three options that we have of people at the track and try and guilt, coerce, kindly request that they do it. And most of the time, again, because we have a good group here, people will do it. But I know I've seen it before just as a racer in the pits. Sometimes uh, a karting series will need someone to fill a position and no one really steps forward, which is always sad to see, but it, it's understandable why it's, uh, you know, um, certain positions, no one really envies. So, um, the way to recruit volunteers, I think is just, if you put on a good show and you make it clear to people that you are trying to grow and you're open with people, I think that's one of the biggest things that we've tried to work on as a series is try to have the lines of communication between us as an official group and, board of directors and things and our competitors, we want to have that um, open. So I actively try to talk to a lot of different people in the pits and say, hey, how's it going? And, you know, if you have questions, you can always email me. And it's not kind of this, you know, word of God kind of thing where, you know, we just say it's this way and you don't really have any say or influence. And so if you get that dialogue going, then people are, I think, are more likely to step forward um, and be vocal and say, hey, I see you guys are struggling with you know, this part of the race day, I think I can help. Um, and, and the other thing I think a lot of this is need to realize is the diversity of the people they have in the pits. Um, you know, carding attracts a very interesting demographic in that um, a lot of people are uh, very busy executives or small business owners or uh, in tech or people in construction. And, and so there's a lot of different skill sets and different mentalities and different ways of doing things with the racers that you have. Um, and they all like racing enough that it's like, oh, I get to help make this thing possible. Um, that them realizing that sometimes can really motivate some people to get involved. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think the, like you said earlier, I think some people don't realize that they can, you know, either A, because they don't think about it or B, because they don't think that they have the skill set to do something that there actually is a need for. Um, so that, that's the first thing. Um, and sometimes I find that, the smallest incentive can get volunteers. Like uh, a good example is I rebuilt um, two clubs websites a couple years ago um, for like a set of free tires for the whole year. Right. It's like a minor thing. And it's a, it's a carting, it's like carting currency, right? We all know where to get tires. It's an easy write off, right? I'm not asking for the moon, right? But a free set of tires was worth to redesign the website. And so I was their webmaster and did that for a couple of years for like a free set of tires every year. It was such a minor thing, but it was just enough to like, you know, kind of keep a, keep a, a rapport going on, right? 
And um, it helped out for the club because it like really didn't cost them that much money because, you know, they're not having to pay me, pay me, but they're also not, you know, standing there with bated breath going, oh, no, what happens if Devin leaves? Yeah. Right. Um, which sometimes, you know, it's a little things like that where it's like uh, a free club membership or, you know, a free set of tires or, you know, a free chain or, you know, it could be the smallest thing yeah. that, you know, can get people to all of a sudden want to volunteer, which they never would have thought to do so otherwise. And it's it's really amazing um, how many people will step forward if you're even just a little bit transparent about needing those things. So, for example, our website uh, was bought and paid for by one of our members. And I am one of the admins now, so I post an update content. But he did the lion's shares of the work just because that was something that he recognized we needed to help our series grow. Um, and, um, you know, we have these class sponsorships and, and um, patron packages that we, we send out to the potential sponsors of the series or of our racing classes at the beginning of the year. And we had one this year that wanted to sponsor class. And in exchange, rather than a monetary donation, they uh, fabricated and made a new podium for us. Um, you know, or, or we had... Uh, we have one of our uh, board members. He also has a graphics company. So he does a lot of the work for us with, um, you know, our banners and promotional items and stickers and all the things that make it go and make us look more professional. So it's, you're right, incentivizing um, a little bit of engagement, but sometimes it doesn't even need a ton of incentive. It's more just, hey, it would be really cool if you could help us out with this club. I decided about racing that, that's almost an incentive in itself. They find out that their work or their business um, and what they do for a day job can suddenly have an impact on the karting um, and on the racing, and that gets them motivated and excited to do it. Totally. I, and I think what people start to realize, too, is that their involvement helps to improve their experience, right? right? Like, if everyone contributes just a little bit, then the entire um, group benefits overall. It's... Um, I think what I'm looking for is uh, altruism, I think, is what I'm looking for. But the whole point is that, you know, if, if everybody just con contributes a little bit, like if one person would just help with registration, or if one person would go wave a flag, or if one person could, you know, help build the website or, you know, help do pre-grid or just little tiny things that only take 15, 20 minutes out of the day, um, the whole experience works out pretty well. Um, I got spoiled because I started in autocross. And in all the autocrosses that I raced with, it was mandatory that you had to have a work assignment along with running, right? And so, you know, after a while, you started to figure out the things you were good at and you would show up super early so you could get a good work assignment because, you know, there's certain things that you may like to do more than others. But the fact of the fact of the matter was that the more attendance we had, the better the event was run because we had more resources available right. to, you know, go shag cones or go, you know, set a pre-grid or go do whatever, right? Um and, and karting sometimes I think doesn't have that. There's a plus and a minus to that. Like when I started competition karting, there was a part of me that was like, whoo, I don't have to do anything, right? But what I realized though is that if I didn't do anything, then there was a little bit less resource for the club to get things to run a little faster, right? Yeah. And so if there's something I could do to help, then you know I will in certain instances um, and that's, because it's something. That's exactly how our club has operated for years. I mean, um, up until very recently where we really had a lot of growth, we've had you know, um, certain guys, um, would bring, you know, say our podium or our banners or things that we needed to run the race. Everyone would be responsible for a little bit of the race day, Right. And so they would curate that. They would take care of it um, between races and, and bring it to the track. Um, now we have the resources to try and centralize some of that stuff. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's, it's kind of a double edged sword. If you have, if you have a, you know, 20 people 
each of which is doing a minor task so that each of them is not inconvenienced a ton. That's great as long as there's kind of a central way for the, them to communicate. In my experience with a lot of racing clubs, uh, with all due respect, there's a bit of a fear of the internet and a fear of kind of modernizing and communicating things. Um, and so sometimes I have to drag people kicking and screaming into the 21st century to say, look, you know, let's get a Google Drive doc and just like collaborate on simple stuff like all our members' contact info or email list or just who's doing what so that we can understand kind of the little, um, I guess, faucets or things that we can tune and adjust to make this thing work better. Um, so that's one component. Um, we don't make volunteer contribution mandatory with our club. Some do, um, where, you know, you would have, say, eight to ten races and then one drop, and your one drop, it was strongly encouraged. It wasn't mandated. It was strongly encouraged that you go volunteer that day. I've always thought that was a cool um, thing for people to do. At our club, um, you know, a lot of times we'll talk about, oh, I wish we had more people to do X, Y, Z. And, um, you know, my comment to a lot of those sentiments is, look, you know, I think we actually have pretty good engagement. The biggest thing that we can do as officials is just show that, um, you know, Carter's put in a lot of work to get to the track. There's a ton of work that goes into prepping that cart every day. And if you can just show them how hard you're working on race day, um, that motivates and gets those people to respect you a lot more and will make them want to come out of their pits early in the morning and help you sweep the track or help you prep it. Um, you know, so that's an easy way to drive engagement rather than, you know, having to monitor a task list of five people this race. Okay, Joe and Rick and uh, Taylor, you know, it's, it's you guys this week that are going to go clean the track and kind of just force people to do it. Instead, what we try to do is we try to just show that we're going to be there early and we're going to put in the work. And if you guys help us, we're going to really appreciate it. And it's also going to help us run that race day quicker. Um, it's kind of a passive way to drive it. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And I think another part is probably the um, atmosphere that the club tries to foster too, yeah. right? Because if, if your club does a good job at you know, kind of fostering a good community with your racers, mm -hmm. there's a better chance that they will want to volunteer because they enjoy the space that they're in. But like, if you yell at them, they're not going to do anything, right. <laughs> right? Or like, if you're if the people working the race don't really talk to the racers, or if, you know, if, if they don't have a way to um, really socialize as a group, then people are going to be less likely to want to volunteer. A, a good example. So in my area, there's a, a club called the Tri City Cart Club. Right. And they do a phenomenal job at like the social aspect. Like it is so fun to go to that track because they do a good job at making sure that like you feel like you're part of the community. You don't just feel like a customer showing up to just pay your you know your ticket and you go home. Um, they have like other events. Like they have this race once a year. I try to make it. It's called the Pumpkin Race. It's at the very end of the year, and it's uh, just like a fun run day where they have like themed events all day. And so it's like uh, they have one called the Poker Race where you drive out on the track. Like they'll have two strokes go out, or they'll have four strokes go out, and they'll have people in the pits. And the objective is is that they have people in the pits that when you pull into the to the the hot pits, they drop a card down the back of your seat and so you have to pit at least five times over the course of like the 10 minutes that you're out there and the winner has the best hand huh. so it's not about yeah it's not about racing it's not about winning it's a it's a game That's right awesome. and so you jump on the you jump on the track and you have a battle with your friends and you're like yeah 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 and then you stop in the pit and you get a card and then you drive back out again and you stop in the pit and so they have events like that every once in a while that fosters this really fun atmosphere 
So then when they need to turn around and do an administrative thing later, right, they've got a bunch of really happy people that are engaged and wanting to do it, right? right? Because they know the club cares about them, right? I've gone to other tracks where they treat you more like a customer. And so when they need help, you don't want to help them because like it's not because you're being mean it's just because that atmosphere hasn't been really flourished and so it's not as readily apparent that they need help or they may not have that easy method to reach out to the community when they need help and so it's a more awkward when they say like can someone please help us with so and so because you know you weren't having as much fun at x track as you were let's say then at tri-cities so i always use them as an example of the like you know if you're trying to get volunteers make it fun you know make it make it fun and make it make it open for people to be there and you're more likely to have people who want to help you i think the biggest thing that that you said that that resonates with me is is openness um you know there's certain things that um we do have to handle internally and that we i wouldn't say we don't want input from the racer but that out of respect for all the parties involved we we just can't comment on but and and too many cooks well and sometimes too many cooks or the squeaky wheel can get the grease but a lot of times, you know, uh, we we're really active on if someone emails us and they're a new racer, we'll follow up. I'll follow up in person with them and talk to them and try and get them to the right people. Or I try to know more and more people on race day so that, you know, I'm not just some random guy. I'm, you know, Eric, I granted I am an official, but you know me from other other times and I don't just show up one day out of the month when you're at the track. Um, and right. so we try to have that communication going with people. Um, we have a year end endurance non-points race that we're planning for this year. I think we just haven't had the funds to do a lot of fun stuff, but almost every, every board meeting, some sort of fun event, kind of like that poker race, um, gets Mm -hmm. proposed and we're like, yeah, that'd be really cool to do it. And now we finally have a little bit of money to do it. So we're looking forward to doing it. And, um, I, for one, am a big fan of, um, fun events like that. I think it drives, it gets people engaged and it makes people remember the club for having a fun time because at the end of the day um you know we're an outlet for people to come and have fun and race competitively we're we're there for some of the kids to learn what competition is about what good sportsmanship it is about and we have to lead by example and we have to make sure that people will have fun so it's so fun and like the thing is with the poker or with the poker race with the pumpkin race i look forward to that event every year like it's like a mini festival at the end of the year. My girlfriend likes to go to those things. Like it's just it's super fun because they'll have like the the poker race, they'll have like the mechanics race, they'll have the um it's like the they call it the powder puff race, but it's basically like a race for wives and girlfriends, uh-huh. right? Um and a few other combinations of those. Like the the powder puff race is super funny because again, it's not about winning, it's about going to have a good time, right? So they just they grab whatever go-kart they can get their hands on, yeah. right? And so you know, you'll you'll see a wife in a tag for the first time and then it's being passed by a 206 and like all these other fun things, but it's just fun, right? Um and it gives people a good opportunity to like get in a go-kart if they've never had a chance to do it before because you know especially like in the wife and girlfriend category where it's like you know maybe uh, you know this is a general statement but it's like maybe i go with my boyfriend or husband and watch him race but i've never done it right and i've just never thought to ask at a practice day because he's practicing well this would be fun right and all the other drivers are more stoked to get someone new in their cart than they are to drive themselves because they've been driving all year right and so it's like i i took my good friend's daughter and put him in my or put her in my cart for the first time for the powder puff race and that was more fun than almost anything else the whole day because you know everything was new for her and she was super excited and had all these questions and she got more 
interested in the sport and i was like all right good you're interested i like it and for like the you know and for like the wives and daughters who hadn't driven before some of them came back and was like oh i get why this is so hard (laughs) oh wow like i didn't really get it before like i was just watching you do it gone all the time testing i get it now um one thing i'm trying to bring back this year um and um i've gotten a lot of we've gotten a lot of positive response on it is um um having a mechanics or dad's race um so a lot of the tracks do have they have rental car fleets and so i'm like why don't we just do that because you know a lot of, we have sunday events so a lot of people are out there practicing saturday so why don't we just have a rental car race saturday night and have all the dad's race all the people that are you know wrenching on their kids carts all day while the kid complains right let's go ha- let them go have fun and race and uh, i've been trying to bring that back and um, i've talked to one of the local guys for our next race and he's like yeah i have seven carts available and within 30 minutes, I had all of those seats filled. Like everyone, everyone was stoked. So, um, you know, it's fun stuff like that, that, that you're going to remember a lot more. I think a lot of people are going to remember, yeah, I finished fifth in the championship last year, but they're also going to remember their good buddy that they hung out with in the pits on at the end of a practice day or at the end of a race day. And, you know, just, just had a good time with, um, that's the kind of stuff that we foster. And I get to see, you know, one or two of those moments every race day. Um, and that reminds me of kind of why I'm involved. Um, because if you don't see those moments, you know, I, I, I'm sure you see them at the super mounts, but I'm sure at some other national races, you don't see it quite as much. Um, and, um, that's what makes you realize, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're building an event here. It's not just about the racing. It's about gathering a bunch of people that like something together, um, that can also be friends and shake each other's hands off the racetrack. So totally. Totally, totally, totally. You know, I think the other thing is um, like barbecues mm-hmm. and other events like that. Like um, a track in Tacoma, they'll do like a, a barbecue slash track cleanup day, right? Where it's like, you know, everyone gets together and they spend the day cleaning the track and the evening having food, right? And so it's a good way to like get a bunch of volunteers together. So that's cool because it's like potluck style. Get a bunch of volunteers together. You sweep the track or you lay new cement down or you, you know, pull up bushes or reset tires or whatever and then at the end of the day everyone takes and has food and has beer and chills out Mm -hmm. right and so it's just a fun it's a fun event for like everyone to just kind of get together and you know not have to worry about their carts and just talk and you know bounce ideas around but again it's about having fun right and at the end of the day like you say that's why you know 90 percent of us are here to have a good time is to have fun to blow off steam from work right and so if you can create that environment where people want to go to the club to have fun they'll be more likely to volunteer yeah and you know it's 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 not just about them having fun. It's not just about them being oh, they're it's more likely for them to volunteer. It's they're more likely to come back. They're more likely to be positive yep. members of the carding community. Um, yep. And you know one thing that I've been reflecting on a lot recently is looking at it from a business aspect. Even if you're a nonprofit like our organization, um, they are the end customers. Um, if mm-hmm. if they leave the racetrack and they've got some sort of complaint with no outlet, if they don't feel like they can talk to someone, um, the quote unquote silent majority will eventually win out. Um, you know, even, yep. even if they, even if the uh, racers aren't yelling at the officials and really mad, um, it's when that resentment or kind of silence sets in where they don't feel like they can complain or ask for something to be changed or ask for something to be considered. That's when the danger, um, and atrophy for a club really starts to set in. Um, yeah, definitely. So, Definitely. For us, we found that Definitely. just encouraging that fun community atmosphere and encouraging them to engage with us um, 
helps to keep most people's lids on tight uh, and calm and then you know able to weather the storms when things just don't go right and the call doesn't go their way or something like that yeah definitely definitely i've uh, i've been part of several clubs where if i didn't feel like i had a way to communicate a complaint or an issue or i didn't feel like they listened and or cared about my feedback like they don't have to jump because i said oh i have a problem but at least said like we heard we heard that you had an issue either this is why it was done this way or maybe we can make a change or maybe we can't and this is why right, right. um you don't really want to come back if you don't have that you know because like you say it is kind of silent resentment because you don't want to also feel like you're wasting your time and so you know on clubs that i feel like like try cities is another good example right i i'm not even an official member of their club i go there maybe three times a year but if I notice something where I'm like, this would be cool, or like, why do you guys do it like that? They'll talk to me. The, you know, the club members will talk to me. This is why we do it this way. This is why it's done this way. That's a good idea. I hadn't thought about it like that. And so I always enjoy going there. There's not a single time where I don't enjoy going there. Like, the only thing that sucks there is the drive from my house to get there. But once you get there, it's like, oh, wow, right? And, um, you know, other tracks in my area kind of foster a similar environment where you're like, okay, well, now that I'm here, I want to be here. Right. Right? So that helps that helps when they need help because um i'm not gonna lie i spent more of my time doing the web design for sites than i did actually sweeping the track but it was still a valuable skill like it's always a useful skill like i just i'm not i'm not a physical labor person so like i would be the person that would probably hurt himself more than redesigning the website so i just redesigned the website because it was something i was good at but it you know it it provided some value to the club right and so everybody got a little bit something out of it so, so yeah, it kind of worked out so one other aspect i don't i don't know if, um I don't know if you're going to bring this up or, or mention it, but um, this year I'm more on the administrative side, although I'm still a race day official. But last year I was um, the head flagger and kind of the assistant race director. Um, yeah. So I've had to I've had to be an actual you know uh, race day official on race day. So that's a whole other interesting perspective that I've gained working with CKT um, outside of just the administrative stuff. But both of those yeah. involve open communication. Both of those involve when someone's like, I don't understand why this was made, this ruling was made this way. I don't understand why you guys do this a certain way. It's rather than blowing them off and saying, this is just how we do it and deal with it. It's, well, let's sit down, let's talk about it if I have time and um, yeah, help you understand so that when you come back, you understand the rule, you won't do it again. And you feel like we're trying to be fair here and logical. Yeah, totally. I mean, I know that uh, Mike Smith, Mike Smith, brought that up. Um, we talked to him. Same, similar thing, right? It, it's a balance, right? I think that the um, racer needs to realize that the race director is trying to keep everybody safe and be pretty impartial when they can. And sometimes you just lose out, and so they have to be um, calm enough to be able to deal with it. Mm -hmm you know, over time, but the race director also needs to be able to communicate and explain why things are done the way they are so that the racer learns why we're in the situation we're in and why things are being run this way so that, you know, they're more likely to be accepting of whatever call was made, but also maybe potentially make different choices in the future. Right. So, you know, if, if someone runs someone off the road and gets a penalty, right. 
and that person's heated because they got a penalty, right? You can't just be like, well, deal with it. That's the end. Because it's like you say with the silent majority. That's an easy scenario for someone to easily just be like, well, forget this club. I'm never coming right. back and tell all their friends never to go. And that sucks, right? Where if you can just take five minutes to say, you know, this is why this call was made. I understand that you're upset, but unfortunately, like you have to start at the back, right? You're still racing your go-kart. Like, don't, it's no big deal. Like, I understand. I understand your frustration, but this is why we did this. You know, it can provide some insight. Yep. And also they can feel like they were listened to, yep. right? It's like, I, I hear what you're saying, but this is the call that I'm going to make, even if it's just for expediency sake, right? Like, I only have five minutes, and I know this heat has to go out, so I'm just going to put you to the back just so we can keep the day running, okay? Just right. letting you know. Yeah. Right? That will get a racer to be way more receptive than just, like, I'm God, deal with this, <laughs> right? Yeah, so. yeah, and, and every now and again, you have to have the God moment because, you know, someone's just flying completely off the handle. But there's been certain times where yep. we've had to make a call and you kind of know what the reaction is going to be because there's a past history mm-hmm. or something there. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you let them let them say their piece and, and get upset, but you have to be calm and diplomatic because, like you said, they're, they're, they're the customer. And um, as long as you're reasonable and respectful with them, eventually most people come around. Um, yeah. But um, it's, a, it's a fine balance. What's, what's really interesting, uh, another thing that I, don't, I did not appreciate was – particularly the race director position, but really true for all volunteers and all officials on race day is you kind of want this little bubble around the officials. And, and that bubble doesn't, it's not something where, you know, anyone talking to you doesn't get in there and doesn't um, interfere with your day. But the race day official, for example, the race director in particular, he has a tricky position to balance because he has to be, he has to be able to respond clearly and timely to these people that are upset about a call and want an explanation, but he also has to be there to watch the races. Um, so there has to be really good communication between the official crew to try and balance. And so everyone, um, whether it's the race director or the person running grid, most of them are actually a lot more in tune with what's going on. Than most people realize because they have the radios constantly and because they realize that we have to kind of split the duty of work for, you know, instantaneously for a moment um you know the person running grid is kind of has to take the role of some of what the race director does or vice versa um just so that we can keep the event running on schedule and fairly and safely um so that's one thing that i think a lot of people don't you know they come storming up and they want to talk to the race director right now right now and it's like dude we're right in the middle of another race he needs to he can't red flag the race just for you um you know and, and things like that so um Finding that balance between kind of doing what you need to do and not not letting the the people that get upset or, or want to get in your face get in the way of that, but also being responsible is um, was something that is a learned skill for me at least. Yeah, no, I you know what I I can definitely appreciate that. Um, and, you know, and I think I think part of this comes from my autocross background too, is that. Um, unless you have a team of people who have been experienced and know what they're doing and everything just clicks, you have to sometimes be patient because the flagger is new or the grid person's yep. new or the ticket person's new or whatever. And so they may not know what to do or their their opinion on it is different or they're just slow to react or they weren't paying attention because they didn't know they had to. And so, you know, being able to be flexible it's hard because you're dealing with people who are passionate about something. Like we don't show up to go racing because it's boring and we don't care. Right. So we care. And so it's hard sometimes in the moment when you're the racer and something happens not to fly off the handle because you're putting a bunch of energy into your activity. And so now you want to put a bunch of energy in explaining why you think that call is BS. Right. But you also have to realize the perspective of the person you're working with and not jump down their throat. Right. Because 
you think you get it because you may have information that they don't have, but they may also have information that you don't have. Right. And so, you know, and, and also like, you know, pro tip, normally if you're not a dick, things normally go your way more often than not. You know, there have been times where it's like, I want to go protest something. And rather than jumping down someone's throat, I just count to 10 for a minute and explain my case. Right. And I, I may I may be more likely to get my way or at least get an understanding because I'm not infuriating the official by screaming at a volunteer than I would be if I just kicked. Do you know who I am? And da like that's an instant way to get them to shut down anyway and be like, well, I'm just going to rule against you. So you get out of my face. Game over. Right. You know, same thing with tech, right? Like when I would deal with a tech official, um, there have been times where it's like maybe I accidentally broke a rule and I didn't know, right? Because like, a good one is um, um, the first time I went to Gold Cup and they had a they have a, a meter that they use to measure fuel, right? And if you get if you get pump gas, it flips the meter on the negative side, but if you get the non-ethanol stuff, it flips it on the positive side or whatever. It's the it's the flip side, sure. right? And so I'd always I'd always get the I, the first time I went, I got pump gas because I was new and I didn't know, and so I just it was running four stroke. I just went to the gas station, I got gas, and so I went to go do qualifying, and uh, you know they put my thing in the tank and I was negative, and you know I got this kind of glare from the official like, oh your thing's negative on the meter because people before him had kind of been in his face. Right. And so I looked up and I said, hey, um, I'm new. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what do you what? Right. Because it wasn't written anywhere in a book I could find. Like it was a gold cup thing. And he was like, oh, OK, you're new. I let me explain this to you. This is exactly what's going on. This is why you need to do a thing. If you can fix it within 10 minutes, then I'll keep your good spot. Right. So I went and bought gas from the guy you buy gas from and I came back and I put my gas. He's like, fine. You know, now I knew. So if it happens again, of course, you know, but but I just explained my case. Yeah. Right. To be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, even if the case was, I don't know what you're talking about. and I still have to put you to the back. At least I know now. Right. Right. See, so I'm not just. See, you know, that's yeah. the sign of a good tech director, um, because that tech yeah. director kind of realizes where he's at. He realizes he's not at the Super Nationals. And it's just frothing at, frothing at the mouth to DQ someone because, you know, he kind of just, he has a certain quota in his mind that he has to, has to keep. I'm not saying that's the case exclusive, but, um, you know, at, especially at the local level, um, you know, we, we run into certain incidences where it's like, oh, that guy just obviously didn't know. He just didn't know that, you know, you have to have four numbers on your part, or he didn't know that you had to have a, a neck protector in practice. And, well, we don't want to see those things happen and we do our best to mitigate them. Um, we try to be lenient where we can. Um, you know, if someone comes across the scales in a heat race or the main and they're light, they're light. They're going to get penalized. But if it's in practice or qualifying, we work really hard as a local club. We know it's our responsibility um, to be the people to not slap their hand really hard, but, but tell them firmly, look, this needs to get fixed. Here's why it needs to get fixed. Don't bring that back that way. Make sure it's right. Um, because we have, we realize that we walk a delicate line between um, taking this seriously and, and being a stand-up organization that, that enforces our rules and means what we say, and uh, not ruining someone's day and, and acting like they're idiots because it's the first time they've done something. And of the twenty-six thousand things and bolts and nuts and things they had to get right on their cart in this one thing. Um, so I definitely get that, and I try to keep that in mind as a local official um, to be kind of. Yeah, and it's funny because like I, I then appreciated other tech directors and other officials that have done that to me in the future if they're like new and struggling, 
right? So you don't, as a racer, then go to another place and be like, well, why aren't you getting this done quick? Like, you know, Tom can get it done in five minutes. Why is it taking you 30 minutes? Like, blah, blah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you realize that the flip side can be true for the people helping you as much as yourself, right? And so, you know, you... It, it, again, it creates that positive atmosphere of the like, okay, you know what, like pay it forward a bit and also make, you know, be aware that, you know, they're doing me a service. So I should be patient. Yeah. And it's never, it's <laughs> right. never like, you know, we never get the feedback from that of, oh, I wish you had just penalized us. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I never, I, I wish you had never let you. us out on the track for practice as always. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being lenient. We won't do it again. Um, you know, and right, as long yeah. as we hear that second part, then. And usually we're okay with it. I mean, it's, um, mm -hmm. that's what's rewarding too, is, is sometimes you'll see, um, the racers pick up on that too. They'll see how the officials act and, um, you know, our more experienced racers that have seen it all and done it all will kind of artificially and organically help us avoid things like that. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll see a driver out on the racetrack and, you know, say our race director does not have time to address it. Uh, one of our senior guys will take them aside and talk to them about what the flags mean or talk to them about yeah. um, where to enter the racetrack and how to raise their hand when they come off the track or just, you know, minor stuff like that. And so um, if you lead by example, if you make it clear that as an official, you're not there just to penalize people and jump down their throats, regardless of the reason and regardless of context, um, it gets your local community engaged as well in kind of towing that line and helping people enjoy karting and get into it the right way. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Man. I mean, cause at the end of the day, like we say, it's all about having fun. So if you can keep the human element in what you're doing, you're way more likely to be successful. So yeah, that's, that's very true. So that's episode 19 of the cart pulse podcast. Um, if you can go check out Eric's book on Amazon, it's carting 101. I'll, I'll leave a link in the description below and just, uh, I'd appreciate it if you just went and gave it a look or maybe went and picked it up it's super useful and for all my friends who are trying to get into karting i just point them through the book and say hey take a look at this before we talk so um go check it out also come check out us on forums.cartpulse.com um also check out cart pulse on facebook and i hope to talk to you guys soon bye